Welcome to Ignite Your Business Radio Show. Light the match, throw some gasoline on, and buckle up because we're about to take your business to the next level. I'm your host, Josh Wilhelm. It isn't surprising that all the fantasy sports possibilities available, fantasy football remains the most beloved of them all. Certainly, it's the most popular sport in the United States, with an astonishing 37% of Americans stating that it's their favorite sport to watch. With an average attendance of 67,000 plus, it is the most attended sport in the entire world. From that, it makes sense that fantasy football would be a big deal. People all over the United States participate in leagues, with fantasy football becoming almost as big to its fans as the actual game of football itself. If you've always wanted to join up yourself, you may not know where to even begin. To say nothing of being able to enjoy fantasy football to its fullest. Whether an experienced fan who wants to transform their approach to the game or a newcomer to fantasy football who wants to find a firm footing right from the start, business owners and fantasy football fans alike are going to want to check out this week's episode. Bringing more than 20 years of fantasy football passion and experience, Jonathan Bauman is an author, entrepreneur, and expert on all things related to fantasy football. The author of Fantasy Football via Upside Down Drafting, Jonathan, man-fueled by God, is loving fantasy, his friends, and of course, his league mates in fantasy football. It is love of the sport that compelled him to create a book designed to help people all over the world unlock the ultimate fantasy football draft coach within them. Having created a fantasy football drafting process, he describes as being, quote, not for those with a heart condition, end quote. Jonathan is looking for his next great challenge. In the meantime, it is a privilege to have him on the show to discuss his book, marketing that book, the future of fantasy football, and so much more. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. Hey, thank you so much, Josh. Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. All right. So how are things going for you this year, Jonathan? And and more specifically, what kind of year uh, has it been in the fantasy football world in the general sense? Well, thanks, Josh. Yeah, so far I'm in uh, a dynasty football league that has really taken to new heights. We draft rookies in the month of May from the collegiate um, uh, pool of players. And so The difference between a dynasty league and a keeper league is dynasty is someone where you can keep the players your entire career or their entire career, as opposed to a keeper league where you just draft a player um, and then you only get them for the one year. So we just actually finished in my backyard, a large live draft, which is what I uh, pride myself on. It's kind of a dying uh, old tradition. And so to get all my buddies in the backyard and do a 12 man live draft with a big board, is, is what I really, really enjoy about this. So we just finished up that. And, and yes, call me a crazy nut because the month of May and football really don't go together. Um, basically, the NFL rookie draft, uh, they do in April. And so we're, we're kind of in an accelerated league, and I'll go into that more. But really, um, we've seen fantasy football change. You know, as of 2016, there was, you know, 58 million people who were participating in fantasy sports. And so um, it has grown. The, the females have gotten into it and, um, you know, they're hosting podcasts. They're really getting into analysis. And I love that aspect about how the uh, industry has grown. And it's really a tight industry. So 
uh, as I look around and, and just see so many up and coming younger guys doing this stuff, it, it's really, really gotten cool. So I think for the future, it's going to hit uh, probably a billion dollars, uh, you know, at one point, wow. once the global fantasy football industry uh, re- really engages here. And um, it's a lot of fun. I think the bottom line is where it's going is it's all for fun. And, and people really, really enjoy just watching sports and keeping track, right? You, it's, sure. it's fun to keep track of the stats. Okay, so at what point in your fantasy football career did you realize you wanted to write a book? Because obviously with, as you mentioned, exploding market, uh, so many people in the fantasy football world that enjoy it on a regular basis, yearly, every single season, I don't imagine most of them going, you know what, I'm going to write a book about this and I'm just going to lead the way. I'm going to lead the charge, as they say. Uh, so at what point in your career of doing this, did you kind of the light bulb went on and be like, you know what, I, I want to write a book about this. I think it was when Jimmy Graham came onto the scene, I think early on when it was his rookie year and he started getting touchdowns from Drew Brees, it was just, it hit me where I'm like, this is incredible how one tight end can revolutionize the industry. Now we've seen tight ends over the years, Tony Gonzalez and um, you know Jason Witten and, and so many others. But I think when Jimmy Graham hit it, uh, it was somewhere around 2009, 2010, where all of a sudden fantasy just got really, really interesting uh, with now a tight end who's you know outpacing a lot of the wide receivers. And so for me, I think where upside down drafting came into play. And it's definitely not my term. I want to make that clear. Um, that's from Matt Waldman. He's, he writes for the football guys.com. Uh, I kind of befriended him as a, as a pupil, if you will, just as a subscriber to his channel, to his uh, website. And uh, as a fan, I got to know his style and what he called that. And um, it actually has past roots to another guy named Paul, but that's a whole nother story. But basically what it means is it's do the opposite. So in fantasy football, where I was intrigued to write the book was uh, everybody usually drafts a running back in the first round. Well, running backs are fragile. They get hurt. They don't last long and they're unpredictable. And so what uh, what Waldman showed me was uh, basically a strategy that said, why don't you go with somebody who's not going to get injured as much, better propensity uh, to score more touchdowns and and actually repeat the stats. And so by drafting the wide receivers first, it kind of shocked everybody um, because nobody was doing this do the opposite approach. And so basically in a normal league back in those days, it was running back, running back, maybe then you add a wide receiver. Uh, the strategy that I'm uh, talking about is, is wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver right off the bat. So you get some really steady guys, you get a home run hitter, um, and you get somebody like uh, Antonio Brown, who I wrote in my book back in the day. You want those types when he was very young into the league. Uh, but anyways, it was more of that intrigue, like trying something new. And I think people were so afraid to fail in fantasy football, especially when you start off a draft. You're so worried. You want to do the safe route. You want to make sure you do the right thing, that no one was taking risks. And so back to Jimmy Graham, uh, I started really shocking my buddies leagues because I took a tight end first and people were like, you're crazy. And then it just started working. And obviously the formula worked and um, I I got a chance to share my experience through this new uh, technique, which back in 2009, 10 was very, very um, 
mysterious. Nobody really knew about it. And uh, all of a sudden it started to catch fire. So by the time I put uh, everything together, the book came out and it was a lot of fun. Cool. Now, I, I'm curious, you know, the kind of as you were talking about that, something that came to mind was uh, Phil Jackson, uh, well known for the Lakers, but before that, uh, coached the Chicago Bulls. Now, I know we're talking about a completely different sport here. So just for those that are not sports fans and know what I'm referring to, but Phil Jackson is well known for creating the, the triangle offense. And back then it was kind of unheard of. No, I mean, maybe some people were dabbling it, just didn't realize what it was. But now with the success that he had had with the Chicago Bulls and then came into with the Lakers, brought the same uh, philosophy and same strategy. Now even high school coaches obviously are coaching up on the triangle offense. Coming back to you, do you feel that because you took such a different strategy in your approach with fantasy football leagues, do you find now that it's pretty common approach now that you talking with friends and and uh, cohorts uh, in the industry of fantasy football that they're all doing this or it's, it's taken a lot more common knowledge now uh, compared to what it used to when you first started? Yeah, I think it's um, it's basically kind of like that Dr. Seuss book, and I forgive me, I can't think of the name right now, but it's it's the one where everybody wants to get the uh, different color shirt, mm. and uh, you know everybody rushes to go get the one shirt, and then they 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 all look at each other, and then everybody gets the same shirt, and um, so what happens is is basically everybody just follows a pattern, right? So everybody wants to go do what the other guys are doing, and a lot of the leading experts in the fantasy f- football community. They can start these trends and, and, and no different like in a fantasy draft. Uh, we call them runs. And so when you see a run on tight end, a run on quarterback or a different position, you'll see a draft go very, very similar. People say, wait, I just don't want to miss out on this. So they jump in and it, it's not common in the fourth round or fifth round. You start seeing the same position drafted over and over and over back to back consecutively. Um, and I think in the industry, That's what happens, right? Somebody starts a trend. Everybody's um, all about it. So, you know, uh, Waldman's uh, upside down drafting, which uh, I was so intrigued by, you know, that's already been renamed. That was renamed probably uh, a year after I wrote the book because uh, zero running back came out, zero RB. And and, and that was uh, Sean Siegel. And that was a genius uh, way to coin a phrase and make things simple, kind of like a Steve Jobs, you know, how do we say upside down drafting in less words? You know, zero RB took off in many, many leagues, and it won a lot of people uh, a great deal of success. I think what's happening now is we're almost reverting back to the running backs are king. And it's hilarious uh, as this all works because we've, we've seen this, this before as it comes in waves. The running backs go first, and then now we, we have wide receivers, and, and we're kind of full circle now. I think the running backs are just uh, plentiful. They're strong right now. Uh, there's a, there's um, a lot of reasons to go grab these type of guys right now. Gotcha. Okay. I, you know, I was curious, uh, prior to, we've had another guest on our show, uh, uh, Brian, and he's in the fantasy football world. He actually runs these leagues through his company. And prior to you and, and Brian, I've I've always known about fantasy football leagues, but never I I don't know why I just never got uh, into them and, and uh, passionate about it. It's just like anything else; everyone has their passions. Everyone has their thing that 
just you know excites them it's their hobby or or whatever it might be i'm curious and, and this has always kind of struck me is uh i don't see a whole lot and i don't know if it even exists out there but a lot of these collegiate level fantasy football leagues uh I, obviously we know about them from the pro level uh the professional athletes in the football world but uh are there are there uh you know fantasy football leagues specifically for the collegiate level uh yes there there are and there's a lot of people out there that really enjoy those um so that's that's one of the things that um that I enjoy is is taking the collegiate players and playing dynasty fantasy football because what we do is we we basically have a rookie draft every year, right? So you have your inaugural, what we call a core startup in a dynasty league. And again, a dynasty is, is you keep them for life or as long as they play. So what happens is, is after you do a core dynasty draft, then every year, what do you do, right? There's nothing to draft. Well, you draft the incoming rookies. Mm. And so there are a lot of people that play uh, fantasy college uh, football, but it's it's just it's a different type of person, and uh, there's a there's a place called Fantrax, and that's uh, T R A X um, that that'll get you there. And the the college uh, fantasy game is it, it's interesting, but it's just not the same. I, I for me, it's just not the same. And I think where uh, maybe a dynasty or a, a stronger expert level league will do is what we'll do is you can you can even have something called a taxi squad, right? You can have something to where um, the incoming, let's say, sophomore, junior, um, collegiate player can be drafted on your team in advance. Uh, I think that's a really cool wrinkle to a lot of leagues where now you can, if you really believe in somebody, you can go get them and, and grab them really early. Um, hmm. So there, there's leagues like that. Um, there's other ways you can keep track. Um, some people just do touchdown only leagues in college. I've heard of that. And, um, you know, I think for, for the collegiate sport, obviously, it's 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 an amazing game to watch because it's so unpredictable. Um, I'm surprised the numbers aren't there, but I think with the quality of play and just because there's so many different divisions in college, right, there's there's, a, there's a, the mountain, there's, you know, the, the Pac-12, everything. Um, it's just so different than the NFL. Sure. All right. Well, we just struck the match on our conversation with Jonathan Bauman. When we come back from this short commercial break, we're going to throw some gasoline on on our conversation and discuss what it's like to marketing a book on a subject as open-ended as fantasy football drafting. Stick around. Welcome back to Ignite Your Business Radio Show. I'm your host, Josh Wilhelm. We're back with Jonathan Bauman, author of Fantasy Football via Upside Down Drafting. I'm seriously, Jonathan, you couldn't think of a shorter title than that? that, that <laughs> I don't have to say it. Anyway, uh, we're going to talk about how someone would market a niche title such as this. So, Jonathan, at any point while you were writing this book, Fantasy Football via Upside Down Drafting, did you ever wonder how you would market a book upon release? So before you even kind of put pen to paper or fingers to a keyboard, did it ever come across to you and you're thinking like, you know what, I wonder how I'm going to market this? 
Yeah, definitely. And that's that's one of the best uh, questions, I think, for people who are trying to put some sort of self-published book out there. If you get lucky and you, you, know, you get a publisher, then awesome. But at the end of the day, I think the majority of your listeners here want to know as an entrepreneur, um, you know, how to get started. And as far as marketing it, I, I basically just started grassroots. It was mainly Twitter for me. It was, um, you know, Facebook is a huge way of doing things with Facebook ads, but also just asking guys who have already done it and um, trying to find different forums and, mm. and different websites um, to get it going. So, you know, there's, there's so many ways you can do um, the, the advertising, but at the end of the day, when, when you put together your own website and it comes from a grassroots standpoint, I think it's more authentic at the beginning. Mm, interesting. Now with your going back a little bit to your publisher, you were talking about, did your publisher lend any suggestions, any advice as well on, you know, this, uh, I believe it was your first book that you've written. And so you're kind of starting from square one with this, not knowing it's a it's a whole new world for you, right? You're as an author, and a lot of authors go through this where trying to figure things out, not knowing how to navigate the waters of of writing a book, let alone publishing it and then marketing it. Uh, did your publishers help you at all with suggestions on how to go about it? Yeah, they did. And so, you know, there's lots of uh, online publishers. There's Smashwords, I think Kindle, um, you know, Barnes and Nobles. And, and one of the ones I really like is uh, Lulu. I think they have an easy website and things like that. So basically how it works was um, you're going to want to do a choice, right? You can either only do an ebook or you can do a hard copy book as well, or you can just do the hard copy. Um, for me, I think it was the the combination of both. I really wanted to explore uh, there's a lot of people that still like thumbing through their their book with their fingers and, and just for purposes of maybe even signing a book. I think my buddies thought that was really cool. <laughs> I don't think a lot of my customers, um, you know, obviously would have that opportunity. But in the end, it was fun to have both. And so the ebook sales were much greater, obviously. It was like a, a night and day. I think it was like 70, 30%. But as far as the online um, you know, direction, they do help you and they show you that, you know, hey, um, obviously, if it sells on Amazon, you can also put it on a portal, let's say Barnes and Nobles. And so uh, with Amazon, there's some obvious, um, you know, uh, pricing structures that they're going to want to take a piece of. But at the end of the day, it's cool if you, if you do it right now and you, you, you search a book, you'll have a couple comments and reviews of people who have purchased the book. And so those reviews are vital as well. And Mm. Uh, definitely a lot of these websites will guide you in the right direction because at the end of the day you have a niche you want to show people you're an expert and you want to kind of move into a next arena I call it and that's where I was um, in the fantasy world you know in this what I call a, a red tide right there's so many authors there's so many writers and podcasters I thought you know what the only way to separate yourself is to put together something that you know really well and get that trust from your viewership and so by doing the book um, that way, I was able to market it in such a way that, hey, this is this is a new idea. And that's the entrepreneur spirit I think your listeners uh, are, are striving for. Well, and something that you just said that uh, struck me, too, and I think it's important to, to pull it out of the statement was <clears throat> where you were talking about wanting to be and showcase yourself as an expert. And you didn't use the word niche, and I'm paraphrasing here, but picking a particular thing that you focused on that you want to be an expert on and display that out to the world. 
a lot of business owners in not even writing a book. A book, I think, is a little bit easier to focus your attention and audience to because it should speak to the readers, that audience that you're interested in writing for, or that would find your information, your expertise compelling. But a lot of businesses, they have multitude of different facets, you know, whether it be services or products and things of that nature. And they tend to get a little too spread too thin, where they focus on trying to hit everybody, hit all the masses, because they see it as, well, there's so many customers out there, especially online, that I can just Mm -hmm. hit all of them. And what ends up happening is because you don't focus your attention on your core piece, the thing that you really, at the end of the day, if you strip everything else away, what are you really good at? And focusing your attention on that from especially a marketing standpoint, it seems counterintuitive, right? To, to kind of have that laser focus. You think, okay, if I, if I use the weapon of the shotgun approach and hit the blast it out and hit the masses, I'm going to have greater numbers. It's a numbers game. That actually works against you when you're doing it from a marketing standpoint. So I really appreciate you pointing that out as saying that, look, I, I had to focus on what I was really good at and a, a unique thing that I found that really worked and that I was an expert on. And I wrote about that. And so in doing so directly puts you on that laser focus for a particular audience that you're going after. Oh yeah, no doubt. And, um, you know, I think once you get going to, I think, you'll start to create your own ways of, of getting the word out. Let's, let's face it, right? You're going to start with friends and family and they're so excited to support you. And that's a lot of fun. But I think what's amazing is like there was a guy in, I think, Maine or, or Rhode Island that, you know, wrote me a, uh, an email and just said, yeah, your, your book is actually really interesting. I've never hmm. seen this side of things or, or how you were able to experience this, this sort of, um, New, you know, new thinking. And so when you get somebody across the country telling you that, hey, that, that's a pretty cool book, it feels good. Now, of course, you're going to you're gonna have to prepare to get thick skin. You're going to have a lot of people that say, no, nah, it just wasn't worth it, um, you know, or I didn't understand it. Uh, it was just too advanced for me or whatever the comments. You're going to get a little bit of both. But I think, um, you know, setting yourself up for all of that and, and just having the confidence to, to know that, yeah, you're, you're not going to please everybody. But if you have something that you want to showcase out there, um, put, put your stamp on it, put your own design on it. And that's, that's the fun part to me. Yeah. That, uh, your story about the, you know, a reader, uh, writing you and saying, Hey, I really found this compelling. It's kind of reminds me of a lot of business owners will hang that first dollar or they'll frame it, uh, in their office, the first dollar that they made. And I always find it funny because it, a lot of people don't realize this, if you're especially not a business owner yet, uh, that that is not truly the first dollar. Usually your mom or your aunt, they bought your first product. And that doesn't really count because that was kind of the family member, right. right? But that first dollar was like the true customer, the one that actually complete stranger, don't know them, have no connection to them whatsoever. They found your product, they found your service and they bought from you. That's where it's really like, okay, this is legit. This is that uh, legit statement that it has been made out there. No longer is it grandma and mom and auntie and uncle that uh, bought from my book, but the one that actually a complete stranger that hits you up and says, hey, I really found this interesting. Uh, What have been the most effective ways? I know you hit on them a little bit. 
with uh, your previous answer. But what have been what have been the most effective ways in which you've found uh, your approaches to marketing? So I would imagine, like a lot of business owners, you start off kind of like, look, I don't really know what's going to work right now, so I'm just going to try everything. And then as you get into it and you get into the swing of it, you start really dialing it in and figuring out, okay, that stuff didn't work, brought in no response, no return on investment, but these key things ended up being your, for you, what worked to be the best. Yeah, no, it's a great question. And I think if you, if you do a Google search on how to, you know, start your own self-published book, you're going to. You're going to get things like writing, proofing, designing, and copywriting. Well, let me just answer it this way. I wrote a book that was 100 pages. That's it. To answer your question pretty specifically, how do you market something? Tell people this is a quick read. Mm. The chances are, you know, you're, you're not going to write some novel right away if this is your first time doing a self-pub book. And the other thing is, is you know, you're probably not going to strike it rich with, with doing something like this. However, if it gets you into that next level arena and you start to level up in your network connections, or if you're a real estate guy and you want to show clients that, hey, I know what I'm talking about. I wrote this, this book. My advice is keep it to 100 pages. And that goes well with marketing as well, because if you're letting people know this is a short read that, you know, you could do in your, your living room, your bathroom, or anywhere in the car, uh, you're more inclined to get, I think, viewership and, and support. Um, with that, I, th I think some of the marketing just comes down to, um, you know, hey, maybe there's some sort of uh, subscription-based type of thing where you can, within your website, uh, you know, free articles or different different tips and tricks or even consultations if, if that's your, uh, you know, part of the business. So a lot of the marketing um, I did was, I wanted people to come to the website. I wanted them to uh, play in a certain league that we wanted to uh, organize. And, and with that league, you know, there was uh, there was a small entry fee that went to building a bigger base. And then we were going to keep growing it out. And a lot of it was charity driven. Um, so it depends on your intent. But, um, you know, definitely uh, keep the book short at the beginning. Use Facebook. I think Facebook's a great way to advertise things. Um, obviously, Instagram and Twitter are great, too. Um, but a lot of it is just blogging, you know, and I think that starts with um, back to the writing, proofing, designing phase. It's funny how designing is on the, on the back end of that. I really think if you're going to write a book, for crying out loud, get a website, right? <laughs> you go into all this, this work and effort. Go get a domain name. And, and build yourself a website. There's so many ways. And I built everything by myself, by the way. I didn't hire anybody to do it. There's so many instructional ways as an entrepreneur that you can build your own website. And it, it probably takes you, you know, eight hours at the beginning to get everything the way you want it. But when you have a book that refers to your website and, um, and, and an email address, by the way, I highly recommend Josh, the the, the, the at Gmail or the Yahoo or AOL ending of your email address. If you're going to write a book, I would get something, just pay the extra money and have it say info at. I think it just mm -hmm. looks more professional. But it's those type of things, getting people into a website arena to where now they, they're possible subscriber, then the marketing begins. Cool. All right. Well, we need to push pause on our conversation uh, with Jonathan Bauman. When we come back from this short commercial break, we're going to turn up the heat on our conversation and talk about what it's like to write a book on a subject he's so passionate about. We will be back right after this.
Thanks for joining us for this discussion with Jonathan Bauman, writer of Fantasy Football via Upside Down Drafting. We're going to be talking about the business of writing a book that promises to completely transform the way you play fantasy football. So, Jonathan, uh, during our uh, commercial break, we were talking just briefly, and uh, you know, one of the questions that you kind of asked me that I'm like, oh, shoot, I don't know what that is, uh, was you mentioned uh, in starting a book and, and kind of the early process and what's vital to writing a book is something that I wanted to have you share with our audience. Uh, so for those that are thinking about writing a book, maybe in their near future or long-term future, something that's one of those kind of maybe even step ones of the process of writing a book. Yeah, it's definitely uh, one of the steps that goes into it. It's called an ISBN number. And that's a 13-digit code. It's, it's used to easily identify and track your book. So what many publisher sites uh, will provide is, is you know, one for you once you subscribe to their website and you move forward with a self-publisher. Um, but if, uh, you know, if, you, if you plan on doing um, you know, more books, there's packages and bundles of these things. They range anywhere from $125 to like a bundle you can get for maybe 250 or 300 but it's the barcode you see if you flip on the back of the book it's your own um, almost like a social security number if you will for your book and that's how um, the, the world of books works and I think where I'm going with this Josh and why I mentioned it is if you're going to write a book you know I, I kept hearing my whole life lots of my friends oh yeah one day I'm going to write a book one day very few if if at any actually came through with it I think for me, one of the motivation factor was as soon as you bought the the ISBN number, I knew I wasn't going to back out. You know, it's kind of that commitment, that (laughs) tattoo that said, I'm in this thing. I I already purchased my, you know, serial number and now let's get into it. So uh, don't forget about that because that's a critical part. And I think it is a, it's a big motivator. Awesome. Uh, You know, as, as you were talking about that too, um, and I think most listening to our conversation today, what I understand the correlation between being that of an author writing a book as similar to that of starting and running a business. Um, no doubt being an author and writing your books is in itself starting a business. But as you were describing, talking about the uh, even the friend scenario, uh, many people talk about writing a book, but very few people actually do that. Same goes for a business. A lot of people have really good ideas, but very few of them actually put it into action and turn it into something. You know, like, oh, I've, I've got an invention idea. I've always been kicking around. It's like, well, what's stopping you to actually get that made? You know, and it, I think for a lot of people, as I'm sure it's similar in the, the author world, is the fear of failure, right? It's the fear of taking what you have perceived And it's nice to kind of have it in your mind like, oh, yeah, it'd be a total success. But then to put it out there in the real world to see and then it's at everybody else's discretion if they, too, also see it as a success and that's something that they need or want. So it's uh, it was just interesting how, as you were describing it, that's so many people out there think, oh, yeah, I'm going to start a business or, yeah, I've got this great idea. And then that's it. It's, It's just an idea. It never comes to fruition. So just interesting the way you put that. Uh, What would you find as being one of the most challenging things about writing fantasy football via upside down drafting? Maybe it was something that you just really didn't expect from the start as being that 
kind of roadblock, that uh, piece that kind of held you back where you're like, wow, I was not expecting that. That totally took me off guard when I was writing this. Yeah, well, I think it's a combination of uh, switching gears here, Golf Digest, right? For years, they've written articles, I don't know, since my dad was younger, right? It's how to cure your slice. I think the problem in the roadblock for me was, well, we've heard how to cure your slice, I don't know, 1900 different ways, and they keep writing the same article with different spins on it. So from that, I think in fantasy football, what's difficult is you have a lot of regurgitated information. People tell you the same things. Here's what to do. Here's how to do it. I think people are sick of uh, the same thing over and over, maybe repackaged. So for mm. me, the stumbling block was how do you make it very interesting to grab the attention of the reader? And I think I did that in the beginning of the book. So I, I put a lot of my action, a lot of my power pack statements and what I was going to do at the beginning of the book and how also the results um, and my journey uh, uh, prevailed through the through the beginning ports of the book. So I think those type of stumbling blocks are going to be hard because any industry you're in, whether it's real estate or you know making canoes or something, you're going to have to figure out what that is. And a lot of it is, is um, like I mentioned before, everyone's in this red tide. You have to find that blue ocean. You have to find something different that somebody hasn't seen maybe this point of view. Um, and a lot of that comes with brainstorming. So you're, you're going to have to find that niche and, and show why you're important or why people should read this. And, um, you know, it takes a lot of time to do that, but, you know, these are passion projects. Let's uh, get that, you know, first and foremost, whenever I wasn't doing my day job, and no doubt I love my day job, I was really rushing to go do this, you know, and I think Joe Rogan talks about that on his podcast is, you know, when you want to do something, you're going to put so much more energy into it that a lot of those stumbling blocks will go away. Yep. Well, and on the flip side of what you were talking about too is, uh, you described about a lot of people having or or saying the same bit of advice, just slightly different way. I also want to use that to encourage people that we oftentimes, and I've heard it time and time again, especially, and I'm sure you have too with friends and family, that those same friends that are telling you, oh yeah, I want to write a book about this. They then follow that statement up with, yeah, but I'm sure someone's already written a book about that. And so they hold themselves back from not pursuing it because simply that, oh, someone else has already beat me to it or someone else has already done that and said that. So I'm just not going to waste my time. In fact, as we're talking about right now, and as you mentioned, even in the, the last answer to the previous question, you were talking about a lot of people state that they have a good idea or they have something that they want to pursue, but they actually never do. So if you keep that in the back of your mind, go, well, the almost uh, medicine for that illness, uh, someone else has already done it, follow that up with, yeah, but how many people actually go out there and pursue it, which is a lot less likely. And now get yourself motivated to go out there and pursue it now. So just something I, I think is, is important to point out. So you've published three editions of this book thus far. Tell us about the changes between the first edition and the most recent one. What, what is the big changes that, you know, you've gone through three, so it's not just two, but you've gone through three editions of this. What are the, those biggest changes that you've made? Is it theory? Is it, what, what was it that uh, made you go about these changes? 
Good question. So kind of back to that ISBN number, I bought two of them because I knew the writing and the proofing that I did at the beginning would probably amount to two books. Mm. Again, trying to keep it short. A lot of these are just quick reads, 100 pages. Try to keep your book to that degree. Uh, I wrote, I don't know, some somewhere around 400 pages. And, and what I discovered was, and um, by the way, get a good editor. I encourage any collegiate uh, person trying to do that for a, a lesser uh, you know, fee as you hire somebody. But the editor I was working with recommended it and said, you know, what would be really cool here is you're, you're going to lose the readers with packaging too much into one. Mm. Let's break it up into two books. And so then you have people uh, from a marketing standpoint, then they want to see what, okay, what's the next one talk about. And so uh, for me, the, the next edition was, you know, how to host a live draft. I mentioned, I think that's one of the biggest things we do in our backyard with these rookies is you have to make it salient. You have to make it exciting and fun or your buddies won't show up. And so, uh, you know, that's one of the things, you know, win or lose, you want these people to show up and have a good time. And so I kind of go through in the second edition of this is how do you organize a backyard party? A lot of people don't even know. I mean, yeah, it's a fantasy football party, you draft and different things, but the way I take it to a next level is, is I have this crazy big board. It's it's like a hundred inch TV size and it's Velcro and, and you put the player stickers, names and everything. And the guys just get a kick out of this thing. So I do it for them and, and organizing such a thing. Not everybody's a party planner. Nobody can, um, you know, learn this quickly. And so I just thought, you know what, Hey, put put a step by step. And I think a lot of the a lot of the editions of your book, if you're considering these things, make a checklist. People love checklists. In my first book, I gave you a checklist on here's an exit strategy because the draft is so random. Let's face it, fantasy football has a lot to do with luck. I'm not going to lie. But I think one of the things I discovered in writing this is if you provide someone a strategy, there's also a lot of skill. And so I showed people a checklist. Here's, here's what to do in case of this. And then you always let people know here's an exit strategy. Mm. That's uh that's interesting. I thinking about uh I'm not a big book reader. Uh I, for whatever reason it has nothing to do with necessarily the content or even how it's written, but it just uh a lot of times I think just the way my mind works is working overtime million miles a minute that just sitting there and and reading it can can put me in that like oh, I'm feeling very tired right now. So, uh but for the few books that I've written that uh, certainly the subject matter ha- plays into it. It has to be something obviously that you're interested in and, and appeals to you. But also I found that those books and, and it just dawned on me, as you said, that is the books that I really find and, and stick with are those that just don't just give you, especially in the business book world, they give a lot of theory, a lot of, you know, grandiose ideas, right. In these books and how to do something, but it really never gets into, the nitty gritty, a lot of them don't. And and kind of that checklist as you're talking about, it doesn't go that next step where you're like, okay, that sounds like a fantastic idea, but how do I now implement that? Because like, I'm not the expert. I don't know how to do this. I mean, yes, you're, you know, it's, it's kind of the, the you know, getting up on stage and rah, 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 gets you excited. And you're like, okay, yeah, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to charge. It's like, okay, now what, what, what do I need to do to do this? So that checklist is important, and I think that's a that's a major uh, you know bit of advice that any listener thinking about writing a book is: don't just put out the theory, don't just put out the grandiose ideas. Now put pen to paper and say, "Here's 
here's how I'd recommend you go about doing it. Awesome. All right. Are there any plans to write another book in the near future? I had an idea for one. Um, and, and again, I think when we talk passion projects here, I was writing this book pre-kids. Uh, I have two kids. And so a lot of life gets in the way and different things because uh, back to the writing, proofing and designing and all of that sort of thing. And and, and waking up at 3.30, hey, I got an idea. Where's my pen and paper? And early mornings before work writing and, and just ideas during the day on your lunch break and things like that. It just takes a lot of work. And so... Of course, um, I would love to write um, one more edition, and um, it's it, it basically has to do with my journey of taking what I call, um, you know, a bunch of Rat Pack, just, just normal guys uh, from The Sandlot, you know, the movie The Sandlot. It's basically how I took the Sandlot group of guys who just played redraft. And again, if you're not a fantasy football terminology person, redraft is just you start fresh every year. It's a clean slate. You can drag, you know, Ezekiel Elliott or Tom Brady, and then next year it's all fresh, right? So when you talk redraft, uh, it, it's it's interesting because people are just so blinder; they're only they're only thinking that way. So what I did was I took a bunch of redrafters on a JV level, and I took them to the big boy league, and so that's kind of uh, how the name of that book would be, you know, how I took the Sandlot to the big boy league, uh, you know, uh, musings from a dynasty commish or something like that. Uh, and we haven't really talked about it, but the title of your book has to be clever. I think that's something that's going to show up on every Amazon, uh, Google search and things. And so try to make it really clever. There's people out there uh, you can hire that, that certainly do a great job of that. But also the cover of the book, the, mm. get a professional uh, that, that does the cover. My cover is actually pretty uh, interesting because I took all of those photos myself, except for the one of me hanging upside down to kind of mimic <laughs> the book or whatever. But uh, those are those are real life people. Uh, those are not actors. Those are those are people I photographed, and then I had a, a designer actually edit in those. But without a cover, your book is nothing. You have to have something really cool because, unfortunately, yes, uh, don't judge a book by its cover. Is what we've been told our whole life. We get that. But in 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 what you're trying to do and promote, you got to have something catchy now because there's so many people doing what you're trying to do. True. Yeah, that that's uh, interesting, especially from a marketing standpoint. Is not just the title, which is obviously what people are generally searching for initially, uh, whether on just generally the search engines, <clears throat> or they're going on to, uh, you know, Amazon or or anywhere, and they're they're kind of looking for subject first, and then these books are coming up with different titles, but. Certainly now, especially online searching, you know, the image and the colorful aspect and something to grab their attention and kind of draw them in along with the title is vitally important from a, a marketing strategy. Um, what what do you feel is next in the world of fantasy football uh, for you in particular? So what we got working on now is uh, I call him the mad scientist. He's my buddy, Frank. Um, we're, we're always on the cutting edge of things and being in the fantasy football world and getting close to it with a lot of writers and, and major websites, we noticed that nobody was really mimicking the NFL. And so what we've done is we've created a league that actually has punters, kickers, you know, kickers are normal, but, uh, you know, head coaches and even offensive line. Um, type of play. Now you're probably wondering how the heck do you keep track of all of this? There is a really cool website that does this for us. 
But the funniest email I got back from these folks is you've exceeded the capabilities of our, you know, of our website. And so the idea is we're actually working from a 53 man roster. So in my opinion, the future is going to be, well, you know, there's 53 people on a NFL team. Now there's going to be 53 people on your team. Now I've already lost so many listeners right now because <laughs> the average, you know, fantasy drafted team is maybe 12 to 15. So we're talking about a lot of players and <clears throat> introducing IDP, which is individual defense. Now you're talking about linebackers, right? You're talking about safeties and corners and defensive ends and defensive tackles. Aaron Donald, for example, one of the best defensive tackles, if not the best player in the NFL on the Rams. And so keeping track of those stats, I think that's the next level. Um, like I said, this, this is a very, very, uh, you know, triple diamond type of ski uh, run here that I'm talking about. But if we push the level where we want it, we've already done salary cap, which has been around for a little bit. And there's a select few of people that do that where, now you really are the GM, right? You can't just go draft a whole bunch of people because now they have to fit in your budget, right? Just like an NFL GM. Um, so we've done that. We have salary cap information on another website that we've integrated. So now you have to stay under, let's say, $230 million for your entire team. And um, I mentioned the taxi squad, but I don't think I really explained it. Um, the, the Cleveland Browns years ago, Paul Brown owned a taxi cab driving company, you know, the yellow mm. cab you see in New York. And so what happened was, is he had a lot of people in his practices with the, the people on the roster. And so the NFL would not let you bring in extra people for injury sake and things like that. So what he did is he actually put them on the payroll of the taxi cab company. <laughs> and by doing that, they're a sub roster. So they're a roster within a roster and he still paid them. Well, we do the same thing. Our taxi squad is a bunch of rookies. And so I think that's the next level of, of not only dynasty fantasy football, but now it's GM management, right? So if I draft a rookie uh, this year and there's some really good ones like Najee Harris and Jamar Chase and Kyle Pitts, now I can stash them, if you will, on a sub roster for two years. And he lives and breathes on that, what we call a taxi squad, until we promote him up uh, to the real roster. Now, once you do promote him up, just like the real NFL, you can't push him back down. It's like a bullpen, Josh, in, in baseball. Yep. So th those are kind of next level things we're working on. Cool. All right. Well, uh, Jonathan, I want to thank you very much for joining us on Ignite Your Business Radio Show. Before we wrap things up, though, I do have a few more questions for you. Uh, one that kind of struck me is, have you had any actual head coaches of any uh, professional football teams reach out to you and say, hey, Jonathan, who should I, uh, I'm thinking about putting together my roster here. I, I need some help here. Who do you recommend that I maybe try and, and pick up? Uh, have you had any of those head coaches reaching out to you and asking for a bit of uh, expert advice? Well, you, you know, what's funny about that question is, um, I have a little bit different background because, um, you know, my, my uncle is in the NFL industry. He's actually uh, the guy who trained Patrick Mahomes. He was a quarterback coach. He did Andrew Luck and uh, Matt Barkley and uh, Jimmy Garoppolo as of late. So um, I get a lot of information from him, which also helped me write the book as well. So I used a lot of those resources. But coincidentally... I was actually on one of the uh, practice fields uh, pre-combine, the NFL combines where they evaluate all the rookies coming in. And I was uh, standing next to one of the Jaguars coaches and, and he heard about some of my 
dynasty ideas and, and the taxi squad and this 53 man roster. And he laughed at me. So I would, I would argue, and I'd probably return the answer back to you like this. I don't think there's a lot of head coaches that like fantasy football. <laughs> I think secretly they may play just like the real NFL players maybe secretly play, but a lot of people who are in, you know, playing the game, they, they don't, they don't uh, necessarily play it. it it's kind gotcha. of a, a nerd type of thing. Like I am, I'm definitely a fantasy nerd. Um, so you, you'll find a lot of head coaches that just don't do it, but yeah, certainly my uncle's been a huge help and I got to meet Patrick Mahomes. That was pretty, pretty special and, and cool. watch him throw a football, like I don't know, 73 yards off his back foot. Pretty cool. Um, so I consider myself very lucky, uh, kind of getting some of those insights. Cause I, I definitely won the league, uh, the, the 2018. Awesome. Well, I, I heard you kind of reference him a couple of times before, but I understand your buddy Frank is the person we should go for a review of fantasy football via upside down drafting. Did he help with the book in any way, or are you truly talking about your best friend uh, in that, that regard? Yeah. So what, what's interesting about that is when I first put everything down on paper, and I highly encourage a brainstorming session, I mean, get a huge, not, not just a small eight by 10 paper, but I'm talking about huge construction style paper and just brainstorm and circle and get a lot of ideas. And one of the ideas was, is, first of all, I'm using, uh, you know, someone else's concept, which is Matt Waldman from thefootballguys.com. His notion of doing this, which not a lot of people did, they, they maybe read the article, but they didn't do it. And then what I said was, is, well, how do you, how do you explain a book um, by, by doing something via this strategy? And I said, well, Frank, you know, because Frank was one of the first people to pioneer and do this. And so I would encourage whoever you're going to write a book about, it helps you describe it from like almost like the fourth wall if you're watching a movie. So mm -hmm. I was able to use Frank a lot in my book on what he did, right? And I followed his journey as well as my own and then come to a conclusion like I'm not just telling you what to do. I'm showing you what other people have experienced as well to back up the theory. Um, and so, yeah, no, Frank, Frank's amazing. He, he's, um, he's a lot of the ideas that come up with our league stuff and things like that. But he also just inspired me a lot to, to write a book. And in fact, that was one of the other inspirations, not only to do it for, you know, my selfish reasons, like, oh, it'd be really cool to do it. And I've always wanted to, but I think writing it about somebody else, that, that's kind of cool too. Yeah, very interesting. All right, uh, last two questions, one of which, uh, from an author standpoint, I, I don't think should be very difficult, but what was the last book that you read or are currently reading? Oh, gosh. Um, Paper Lion by George Plimpton. Oh, my gosh, that's an old one. This is uh, this is about the Detroit Lions. I'm, I'm a collector of NFL books. In fact, I'm looking over to my left. Uh, here, here, here it is actually on my the desk right here. And it, it talks about, you know, the 1963 Detroit Lion roster and different things. And uh, the, the, the title of it says, you know, professional football, as it looks to a first string writer trying out as a last string quarterback. Pretty interesting, right? So mm. um, I, I really like collecting the NFL books. I own uh, Bill Walsh's Finding the Winning Edge. Um, that's, a, that's a hard one to find uh, out there on, on Google. It, Amazon. And so by collecting some of these books, I think the summer project always, because you got to figure out something to do in this downtime, right? Yeah, we had our fantasy draft in May. Um, and by the way, most dynasty leagues don't do their rookie draft until like July or August. We're way advanced, right? We do it way before where no one gets all the, the goodies on the field or the video. <laughs> 
but anyways, I got to find something to fill the time. And so that's the, that's the, 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 the pun passion project for me is to read as many NFL books as I can. Very nice. <clears throat> All right. Last question. Sure. What is your favorite go-to quote? It's a quote that motivates you. It's that kind of cerebral Red Bull uh, jolt, but it's that thing, you know, you're, you're maybe getting a little tired of uh, the fantasy football world a little bit and you're waking up and you're like, ah, I just don't want to do it today. But it's that quote that kind of pops into your head. You got it tattooed somewhere, maybe you have it up on the wall, but it's just that uh, quote that you pull inspiration from and helps you kind of get back on the horse, so to speak. Well, um, this one's going to sound kind of corny maybe to a lot of people, but it's it's John Muir. It's the mountains are calling and I must go. Mm. And I think I like that so much because in so many ways, it's we are so busy in our lives right now. Um, that quote resonates to me because, yeah, there, there's something like an inner tide, especially when you write a book, as we're talking, is something is gravitating you towards what you want to do. And, you know, our daily lives and just the, the drudgery of the freeways and everything going on, I don't think we get to do what we want to do all the time. And sure. so I love that quote because the mountains are calling and I must go. And, and I, you know, I was born in John Muir Hospital. I'm from Northern California. So I love the mountains. I love Yosemite. I love getting away and uh, the elements of the beach or the desert. I think um, when I go to those destinations, um, First of all, you just you feel good, you're, you're peaceful, that type of thing. And so um, for me, that's the that's the motivation. Anytime you get stressed out, it's like, OK, let's get to the mountains. Right. Get, get back <laughs> to square one. It's just like camping, Josh. You know, when we yeah. go camping, the cell phones are away. It's the campfire. It's back to basics. And I yep. think far too often right now with Wi-Fi and high speed and Internet, we, we forget about just the basics. So that quote does it for me. Oh, really cool. All right. To learn more about the work that Jonathan Bauman is doing, visiting nightradioshow.com. Look for this episode, his episode. There you can find a recording of this episode that we just got finished with, as well as any information you may need to get in touch with him. I hope the information that's been shared today helped light the fuse inside of you and ends up taking your business to the next level. I'd like to thank our guest today, the production team, our engineering team, and most of all, all of you listening. Until next week, I'm your host, Josh Wilhelm. Have a great and successful rest of the week, everybody.